Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. A geological study has confirmed that at one time, long before the town was settled, Dairy was struck by a massive object from the stars. While those performing the study were eager to continue their investigation, the Dairy City Council unanimously denied the request. After all, what effect could it have on us now? You are listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, Constant Readers. And today we are continuing our series on It, selected by Patreon member Rachel Jansen, and we are covering chapters 14 through Dairy, the fourth interlude, and CM is leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. Quick recap on what we have covered so far. Our main characters have all returned to Dairy as adults, and they've gone off on their own quests to have a alone encounter with Pennywise, <laughs> which is a terrible idea. And then we ended with more childhood fun, specifically the crazy rock fight. We are back again in present day. Everyone's gathered at the library. They're all drinking. And they, they've all brought hilariously character appropriate booze. <laughs> <laughs> and Stan is there too. <laughs> well, yeah, Stan shows up. He makes a cameo. It's upsetting. <laughs> They're all having a great time, and Mike goes back to the library break room where mm. he keeps his beer, which I love, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and opens the door. And balloons spill out. An impossible amount of balloons, which also broke my brain to think about. (laughs) And it It, stands 11-year-old head. Not even stand now, which also, I remember in the miniseries they do it and it's the adult stands head. mm -hmm. And just, I forgot that it was the 11-year-old head. It's so much darker. And it's full of feathers. His mouth is full of feathers. And it rolls across the room, which is the worst part. Yeah. Yeah, and it has Pennywise's eyes. Yeah, the monstrous eyes. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. And so it's it's got a message for them. And basically that message is, you guys are too old. You can't win. This is just, you should just quit now. It, oh, this is horrible because this is a really terrible moment. And, you know, Stan is such a, a sad, complicated thing. I really liked all of Pennywise's puns. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of <laughs> Of course you did. But the head vanishes and the balloons do not. They stick around. And they'd all just... I'd be popping them or putting them out the door. I don't know what would be inside them. I would not touch them. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) You don't want to pop those. So Mike is trying to remember what happened in the Barrens the day they started to really plan to do something about it. And this brings us to the construction of the clubhouse. Do one of you want to explain what the clubhouse is? (laughs) uh, Mike goes down to join them and this is when he uh, is officially asked to to formally made a member (laughs) of the Losers Club Uh, and they've just they've decided that they're gonna Ben has this great idea he knows how to build an underground uh, hideout for them Mm -hmm. so that they I mean they know they told Bowers to stay away from the Barons because it's theirs but that he's crazy Mm -hmm. so this is a place that they can retreat to they can be safe and 
it's it's so insane because it shouldn't work. It's so <laughs> ambitious. Yes. Can you imagine? Like, did you guys have some place you went to hang out, like the Barrens, when you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah. yeah everyone did, right? Mm-hmm. I hope so. That's great. I really <laughs> probably less in the city. We're country folk compared uh, to most metropolis cities. Yeah, that's true. But I just can't imagine myself as an 11-year-old being like, yeah, let's build a tiny underground bunker. Like, I've, I for sure have thought about it, but I know as soon as it can, I didn't understand the concept of bracing, which is integral to an <laughs> underground lair, that I would have, I, I, I think one time I tried to like dig an underground hideout and I just made a hole. <laughs> did you guys ever try to dig like a grave just to see if you had it in you <laughs> why'd you look at me that way wow <laughs> that's the terrifying. sincerity that came out i'm joking that the I'm, listeners will I not never... see the look in your eyes oh uh, cold-blooded wow <laughs> amazing I didn't have many friends. (laughs) (laughs) And after that instance, you had one less conveniently. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so during the construction of all of this, this is where Mike gets to share his story and everyone else. They really bring him into the fold. Everybody knows everything at this point. But Mike doesn't just have the bird story to share. He also tells them about a parade which leads to this photo album that he eventually brings down to the Barons to share with everyone. And it's it's so cool because it's reminiscent of we, the photo album in Georgie's room that this creature has been around. And I think Stan is the one who basically says it's like a comic book villain because he always keeps his trademark. <laughs> and, yeah. and Stan's the one who posits that, well, now that you've told us you saw a giant bird, we can all see a giant bird. Thanks for fucking us, Mike. Yeah, they're sharing their... <laughs> personal fears yeah. that's now, now it can appear that's as any of those things crazy because does that mean that they can see any form that it has ever taken or just the ones they know about just the ones they know about i think and ones that would be in their head because there's yeah. some evidence when we get to patrick hockstetter later that kind of backs that up Ugh. yeah do we okay. have to get to him i cannot wait to get to patrick oh. hockstetter i i did like though when mike was talking about being in the parade and he kept seeing this clown and you know seemed like adults didn't really notice him and kids seemed afraid of him and then he was up further somewhere which was impossible and he's just super creepy bill and richie are excited that the uh the album that mike brings has plastic over the (laughs) pictures yes bill's like oh thank god no one touched the fucking pictures (laughs) that that's very scary that he's bringing down this thing that could potentially have the same effects as Georgie's photo album. Which, surprise, it does. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing about like this, this chapter is called The Album. It, a lot of it is revolving around this thing. But it drops small things. Like, it mentions that they're researching making silver bullets mm-hmm. in one part-time. It mentions they pass within feet of a dead body at one point that part is it it is such a shocking departure because Mm -hmm. up to this point it's just them hanging out the barons and it is very like they're talking about it and they're they're talking about serious stuff but they're also just like being pals out in their their place and then it suddenly is like who is it that comes down? It's like Bev and 
Ed here. I, I don't remember who are coming down mm-hmm. to join them. And it just offhandedly mentions they pass feet beha- by uh, an undiscovered. Oh, it was dead Bill body. and Richie bringing stuff back from the dump. That's right. It's like this really disgusting juxtaposition or foreshadowing. I'm not sure which, just of, because you're right, they are talking about this, but they're still just kids and so it's like they're having this adult conversation this real problem while they're doing kid stuff and then they don't even know that there's this body there it's like childhood kind of in its prime and ended in it's crazy yeah what i like about it is that immediately following them the near miss of them seeing that body is when bill has that notion of how many kids from Derry are gone this summer, whether mm-hmm. they were sent away to like a summer camp or to spend some with a relative or they went on vacation with their parents. So there are a lot of children not in Derry and there's also a lot of missing children mm-hmm. in Derry. So sometimes because you don't see somebody, you don't know if it's because yeah. their parents took them away or sent them somewhere or their food. And it's kind of crazy too because none of them were sent mm-hmm. away. So just... What a coincidence that they all happened to be in Derry that summer with each other. And that's not the only insight that they have. They also think about how, and I think it was Stan or Bill, thinks that Pennywise knows that they know. That he knows they know. Yeah. (laughs) Something to that effect. (laughs) Yeah. Which, in this, so when, last time when we talked about why Stan died, I didn't remember that he, until you said it, Josh, that he got everything all at once because, it, yeah, it was Stan who mentioned this. He is so intuitive. He's the one who's kind of guessing and understanding more about the situation and what it possibly knows about them. So I'd, I'm fully on board now with the idea that, yeah, he could not deal with it. Yeah, I think he's the least full of childlike wonder and faith. Like yes. he's just he's he's more mature and he's more analytical. He's already an adult. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. Well, and they describe him that way a couple yeah. times. So Bill also shares during this time his idea about how to kill a monster, which we are going to come back to a little later on. But for right now, Mike is is going to help them with the Barons. He's going to show everybody his father's photo album. The the last photo, uh, they start to hear it come to life, much much like Bill and Richie did, and Ben reaches for the photo and Bill and Richie are like, and it pushes out of the photo against the plastic, sticking his head out at them. It's fucking horrifying. It's a horrible moment. And then it cycles through all of everything they've seen it be, Mm -hmm. which just further proves Stan's point. And then this is the first time and not the last time Mm -hmm. that Stan nearly loses his mind and Bill's got to get him under control. He freaks out so hard that Bill is more concerned with how Stan is reacting than what this horrible thing that just happened with this photo album, which is telling. It's was it? Well, obviously, I think it was partly out of concern. But when. Richie starts denying that this is happening because he keeps he mm-hmm. basically just shouts no this this isn't real and Bill has to get him under control I took it as he not only is is it just like uh stopping him from freaking out but the denial is the mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. part like it is extremely important that they acknowledge 
this is real. This is really happening. Mm-hmm. This can kill us. Well, we've seen denial not work with yeah. other kids we've been with briefly who who've been in disbelief and they've died. It's cool too because I really like this brief aside we get, like this in, insight into what Bill is thinking. And he's recognizing that they're all really looking to him. And he, in that moment, like he really wants to hate them for doing that because he's resenting the responsibility of this. But then he's like, well, I have to be fair and honest with myself and admit that I'm using them to get revenge Mm -hmm. on this creature for killing my brother. It's really, I just like that added layer of complexity for this kid. (laughs) Right. It's so dark. This book is like the darkest (laughs) book we've ever read. It's so much responsibility (laughs) to throw on a child. And that the, mm-hmm. you can't, I couldn't wrap my mind around that as an adult. I can't imagine trying to wrap my mind around it as like a 10-year-old. Yeah. So now we're we're jumping back and forth from present day library. And each of our characters are going around and they are sharing sort of this remembering with everyone. So now it is Richie's turn, which Richie is the one who kind of tells us like none of them are telling this because everybody, you know, they're not reminiscing about something they all remember, a shared memory. It's like they're living it for the first time, not reliving it as they're hearing it. It's like something is unlocking and it's opening this this door of, oh, yeah, this stuff happened to us. So it's really cool that they're not just reflecting on it. It's like almost like they're being thrown back in time it, experiencing it's it. like they are they have to actively work to dig up these mm-hmm. buried memories that they have. And it makes sense that they have to do this as a group because they can handle it all together. Yeah. Rather than, you know, Stan. Yeah. Who <laughs> God, did poor not. Stan. And we kind of see the magic of them being together too, like in real time. As this is going on, Richie's noticing they all look better. Like they look sort of revitalized, rejuvenated. Even Mike, who looked like he had just had such a rough life, looks better. Then a memory that has been trying to come back to Richie, and I didn't remember what this was, like the whole time this was happening, it's like, huh? When he's rubbing his eyes yeah. and stuff, yeah. Hits- I didn't remember what that was about <laughs> yeah. either. This hits him like a freight train. We finally find out why his eyes have been stinging so much ever since he got Mike's call. And so now we are going to learn about the smoke hole. This happened back in the Barrens mid-July after the clubhouse was completed. All because Ben one day aspired to live in Nebraska. Well, the the theory is later that that book jumped out at him. Yeah. It picked him or something made it pick him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Ben, while researching in the library, which is just something Ben does. Classic Ben. (laughs) He discovers this old, it's described as an Indian ritual, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Where people would go into a hole with uh, burning green wood which produces a lot of smoke and stay in there for as long as they can. And it would produce visions and tell you what to do. And so they're like, yeah, <laughs> let's asphyxiate <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> We're children. In this underground bunker I made. <laughs> so they are, are preparing. And first, I wanted to know what you guys thought about the uh, the the disagreement they had. My favorite part about this is actually... <laughs> I, it's Beverly standing up for herself and kind of putting the boys in their place. Yeah, they they are at first they say, Bev, you can't do this. 
Because it was Indian Braves, not Bravettes. Yes, which <laughs> Well, Richie says it, but he says it jokingly. Yeah. And then Bill is like sincere and she's like, okay, fuck this and all of you. <laughs> which is an extra good point seeing as, okay, the, the guys have a good idea. One person should not go down into the investigation yes. yeah. hole. That makes sense. And it should probably be the one with asthma. I would agree. I would agree with that. Anyway, they have this big fight about who is going to stay out of the hole. And Bev has the idea to draw matches. She takes seven Mm -hmm. matches, burns the end of one, and then puts them in her fist. And they all draw. And they are all unburned. Fucking great. Amazing. I completely forgot about this part. Me too. I love it reflects sort of the thought they're having. Well, I think it's Richie who's having it as an adult that they may not really be as in control of their lives and any of this stuff that happened as they thought they were. Mm -hmm. Which is it this part where they think that someone says that there may be an opposite force that that there may be if it is what they're up against, there may be something else. Yeah, he because he's talking about the idea of this greater power pulling them all together and Mm -hmm. making this thing with it like was the clubhouse even really their idea how did that happen and he what i liked about it he's like you know that should be a comforting thought but it really makes you feel out of control of your own life like he he doesn't it doesn't bring him comfort and it shouldn't because yeah the idea idea that you don't have free will should be upset well and they're being they're being used (laughs) Mm -hmm. i mean i mean ben what have we done with free will no, well, that's a good point. <laughs> All right, so now they they oh, I said in my notes was like the House of Leaves Clubhouse. <laughs> oh yes. god, yes. I I forgot about this part too when they go in there and they're they start burning it and Richie were still with him and he's noticing that man like Ben and Bill's elbows and legs were kind of poking me and now they seem really far away from me. And this clubhouse eventually gets so big that he describes it as, as this huge ballroom-sized space. So everybody gets smoked out except except That's, for Richie and Mike. That means something else. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, everybody gets... No, you, 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 said, you said it. Okay. It's sad. Uh, I didn't expect it to be these two the first time I read it. And, well, the second time I read it either because I forgot this happened. <laughs> But it's it's so interesting that it happens to be this too. The Mike and Richie go on this this experience. Yeah, Mike makes sense to me because mm-hmm. he's the historian. Yep. Yeah. But the fact that Richie ends up having this experience where he starts floating and suddenly he's floating above the barons, but an impossibly lush barons mm-hmm. with where the creek is this roaring river. And as they're trying to process what the fuck is going on, they smell burning and they look up and there's a thing. (laughs) This is the neatest part. This is my favorite part of the book because I love this idea, this Lovecraftian idea Mm -hmm. that they see this thing falling from space and the only way they can think to describe it is not a spaceship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> what? That's it. Yeah. That I love <laughs> that the idea. That leaves it that all to you. <laughs> it leaves it all to you. It becomes this idea that like it's so alien mm-hmm. that you can't even process what it is. You can only process, well, it's not a bird. 
It's not a spaceship. It's not a spaceship. I don't know what the fuck what this is. What does that leave? And weirdly, it made me think of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the Heart of Gold, Arthur keeps trying to make the drink machine make tea. But no matter what he asks for, uh, it's described as making something that is, quote, almost but not entirely completely unlike tea. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what... <laughs> God, Hitchhiker's Guide is such a great It's so series. good. But yeah, I, I love that they see this thing falling from the sky and they know that's it. They see it coming thousands of years ago before dairy They say millions. Existed. It is... It is Way to one-up me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's inconceivable. <laughs> like a hundred years ago. <laughs> There's actually a, a theory that I found online uh, because the, they both they both don't agree in their perception that just the it's not a spaceship. I'm sure there, there's there's a reference to one of them thinking it's spaceship like, mm-hmm. but not a spaceship. Like it's something protecting what's inside. Yeah. But uh, somebody on I wish I would have grabbed uh, their screen name so I could have given them credit. But it was a theory that they didn't see the same thing. Mm-hmm. That one of them oh. saw the impact of it in Derry. The other person actually saw the Tommyknockers ship crash land and <laughs> right it was it was a a string to tie it was a, an effort to tie tommy knockers to this incident and to tie the aliens from Dreamcatcher to tommy knockers it was a very interesting theory it wasn't That's a good stretch it wasn't it wasn't a solid theory which is why i don't remember it but i remember reading it and being like oh that's funny huh hmm. i don't mind that so the others pull Mike and Richie out because they hear them screaming. So as this thing is crashing to Earth, they get pulled out. Although it's funny because when they open the door, they don't see them at first. It's like they can't find them, even though the clubhouse is, what they say, like five feet by yeah, five feet? Yeah, not big. It's very small for seven people, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, when they're sitting, when they all sit in a circle, they're touching each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Just, I had I was going to propose through my notes. I just saw this. To ask you guys about a dairy public radio smoke ritual. <laughs> one. Well, but, we can I mean, do I mean. <laughs> one, but it's going to be a different kind. <laughs> so anyway, as Mike is explaining to the others exactly what they think they each saw, kind of, and how they could tell that it was it, and, you know, it was bad, and it meant bad for you know, whomever it encountered or whatever it encountered. I kept thinking about our discussion about what's it and what's dairy. How bad is dairy on its own? And I guess this confirms it's all it. Mm. But its impact has sort of permanently stained the soil of dairy so that even if it's hibernating, there's still going to be repercussions or just whatever, I guess, would continue its food cycle is going to be constantly at work to do that. It made me think of Judd and the Pet Cemetery. Mm, just talk the yeah. you know mm-hmm. what is it the uh, the ground is stonier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that just that the whole thing that like there's just this piece of land that is bad. We don't know why it's bad. So if you didn't know uh, if you knew about dairy but you didn't know about it, you'd kind of have that same like this giant stretch of a town. This land is bad. Well, I guess Mike's dad pretty much says as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we're going to jump back to something Eddie remembers, and he remembers it because his arm starts to hurt, and he thinks it's funny as he's realizing why it hurts, because 
He's been to the doctor as an adult, and the doctor's commented on this break, and he's like, oh, yeah, that, I don't know how it happened. Must have fallen out of a tree or something. But he's the kind of guy who goes to the doctor like every six weeks for a normal <laughs> checkup, and he's he's reflecting, you know, it's kind of weird of me to not be concerned <laughs> that I don't remember how my arm got broken. And now uh, we get to find out, which it's not as like cool and exciting as alien stuff, but it is really disturbing and scary just because it's like eddie like of course he's the one to be on his own and have this encounter well what makes this great is that it's normal no no supernatural things were necessary for what happens to eddie and that's again one of the things that this book does masterfully is that it gives you so much so many incidents that if you take the supernatural out of the story you still have a pretty dangerous story with these kids and Henry Bowers mm-hmm. and his gang. Well, but first, before we even get to what Henry does, Mr. Keene does something. Eddie, oh, boy. <laughs> Eddie is at the pharmacy and he is picking up the usual, his drugs, his mom's drugs, and a candy bar or something sweet. And Mr. Keene decides, all right, it's time to have a talk with Eddie but I, I do love that Eddie immediately thinks he's in trouble because there's a no <laughs> yeah. shoplifting sign. And it it's like that truly anxious person will have that thought when they yep. see something like that. But what if I accidentally stole something and I get in trouble? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so that that was kind of fun. Yeah, Mr. Keene is going to confront Eddie with the truth. Okay, you guys might change my mind. The I feel like it's written to make Mr. Keene seem like the super bad guy in this and Mm -hmm. he did it for a bad reason i don't think that's true i think he doesn't know how to talk to kids and he (laughs) but remember this is the 50s like he's Mm -hmm. you aren't going to you know he's probably just wanting eddie to toughen up and be a man like that's kind of the mindset of older men in in that decade Mm -hmm. i feel like so i feel like that explains his behavior it's still shitty but i think his intentions were more pure than yeah, his, right. thinks his intentions were. were tough love. I, I'm I not sure on the particulars of medical ethics, but <laughs> it seems like this whole placebo thing. I don't know that doctors would do that now. <laughs> um, well, we unless explain... they're specifically taking place in a medical trial. Right. right. We should explain for the listeners what yes. we're talking about. Uh, Mr. Keene says that Eddie has asthma, but he has asthma in his head. He doesn't actually have asthma. The spray that he has is water and some chemical that just gives it a medicine taste. Camphor. Yeah. And he points out that's basically points out that like that's there's no warnings on the instructions because you can't overdose on this because it's not medicine. Mm-hmm. And he he's talking about sort of the history of, you know, why that even exists, you know, kind of the the medical trials thing. And I, I, I don't know, Ben, that yeah, I feel like at least then maybe that did happen. But Eddie freaks out because, of course, you know, he's the message that he's getting is that Mr. Keene's saying he's crazy because it's he refers to it as a mental weakness, which is irritating. But he freaks out and he runs and so he's so flustered by this encounter that when later he runs into, he's like leaving the general store or something, he comes out and like, bam, there's Henry and Henry, Patrick, Victor, Chris, and Patrick. Patrick. 
And instead of when they're like, hey, are you your stupid baby friends inside? He's like, no. I'm like, oh, how do you know? So they start to push him around really aggressive, really quickly, too. Mm-hmm. They shove gravel in his mouth. Well, I mean, Bowers' nose is broken and he's got bruises. And so he the fact that he goes zero to 60, he already does that. But this is not surprising that he throws him on the ground and just starts rubbing gravel in his face. I guess it surprised me because it's very much a public place. Yeah. And an adult does try to intervene. And I think under different circumstances or maybe a couple weeks ago, that might have worked because the adult, you know, grabs Henry and everyone else is like, oh, shit. And Henry shoves him and basically threatens him. And the guy's like, do you fine, but I'm going to call the cops. Thankfully, he does. Gary, 12 year old. Let's also not lose track. He is 12 years old. God, that's so hard to remember. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's crazy. <laughs> My immediate reaction was, no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you, you imagine him as like the, um, uh, what was Kiefer the? Kiefer Sutherland and <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. Stand By Me. Yes, or I was thinking um, Billy and uh, Carrie. Yeah. Like Hen- the, the older yeah. greaser. Henry's like a 28-year-old playing a What's a greaser that can't drive a car? I don't know. Man. Ben, you come up with the best riddles. Uh, there's no answer. You're the Confucius oh. of this podcast. I thought, nice. Man. <laughs> Did you get that in a fortune cookie? Oh, Jesus. Eddie takes this opportunity while Henry is distracted by threatening an adult to take <clears throat> off. And he makes a real good run of it, guys. Poor kid. He really, he gives it his best. Fucking tricycles, man. Yeah, the dad of the kid who in the future gets <laughs> uh, brutalized in the bathroom toilet is riding his tricycle Stephen King you son of a bitch because this is not the first second or last time this happens in this book where you just meet a kid and he's like later him or someone he loves will be brutally murdered yep and we've already heard about it yeah yeah and he he unfortunately comes right on right out into eddie's path Eddie just doesn't have time to react trips over him and henry and gang catch up and they break his arm and they probably would have killed him, but... Which is fucking brutal. Mm-hmm. To just break someone's arm with your bare hands. I love, though, that Eddie, his response, and I love this, it's horrible, I love it, but his response is kind of like how they treat it. He starts laughing. Like, the situation is just so outrageous. He's laughing, and he kind of notices Henry seems taken aback by that, possibly even scared. And he's got like a really positive attitude about what's going on <laughs> somehow. I, but I get it. Like, have you ever, when you were a kid or anytime, you know, taken a fall or something where you're like, oh, I for sure broke my ankle. You just have to. Yeah. And like the Eddie's sensation is like we have that sensation because we feel that intense pain and we are familiar with that pain. So you're like, oh, this is mm-hmm. this is bad. Eddie has been so protected that the his idea of what pain is and now feeling what actual <laughs> pain is is almost a relief for him. And that's I I kind of get that. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to embrace it or you freak out. Well, super it's, it's, hard. A, it's a great way to show how strong Eddie is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that he he's does not need to be coddled the way he's being. He right. is a tough kid, even though he hasn't been raised that way. I love, too, that he gets out a good, like, zinger on Henry before the cops come. Because he tells him, you're crazy and your dad's even crazier. And Henry completely loses his shit (laughs) about that. And then Patrick hocks a loogie on his face. 
God, we're there's been a lot of foreshadowing about Patrick being well, an outright statement being crazier <laughs> than Henry. Yeah. And we find out that he definitely is. Before that, though, we're going to spend more a little more time with Eddie. He wakes up in the hospital and two really important things happen in the scene. We can talk about both of them, but he has an amazing confrontation with his mom. And he's he somehow is like witness to something that he can't possibly know about as it's happening, which is cool. It's because Sonia makes every effort to make what happened to Eddie his friend's fault. Mm-hmm. She wants to put the blame. This never would have happened if you wouldn't if you didn't hang out with those friends of yours. If you just stay, if you just never come out of my womb, you'd be fine. Is not exactly what she says, but it's more or, or less basically, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's the when Eddie stands up for his friends because Eddie doesn't stand up for himself necessarily. He stands up for his mm-hmm. friends. He's more ready to do that. And the fact when Sonia, I believe it says something to the effect of she sees more to Eddie than she's ever seen before. And that scares her. She sees something in his friends too, that she's still a mom and she has that mother's instinct that they are going to cause some, something bad is going to happen to Eddie because of them. And she's not entirely wrong. No. And it's, I also really liked, no, I didn't like that. I mean, this is cool. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Everyone listening to the audiobook, you know, that this part that we're covering for this entire episode is the guy, and very effectively and appropriately, but it's tough to get through, just kind of screaming the yeah. whole audiobook. <laughs> yeah. His voice it persona is, is amazing. so <laughs> abrasive. And it's supposed to be, I get it, but it's really rough. <laughs> I loved it. You are very much in that moment with Eddie. But I love that he grew some balls. And he, he traps her. He does. And that's what's cool. Again, another point. Eddie is stronger than you give him credit for Mm -hmm. because he he calls her out. He points out that there's nothing, no warnings on his medicine, tells his mom it's fake. And he essentially says, you know what, mom, uh, I'm going to wait for my friends to come visit. I'm sure you'll let them come visit and I'll keep taking my asthma medicine. Mm -hmm. And he traps her in that. She has to make one concession for the other. Yeah. Which also makes sense retroactively. I, I think I said in an earlier episode that I didn't I didn't get why Eddie never let go of it. And now it, it makes, makes sense. It's yeah. something it, it is a totem for him. It's he, once it became not something he quote unquote needed, it still helped him. It was a tool in a different way. Yeah. Because even he was questioning, like, why why am I like this mm-hmm. as an adult? Eddie has balls on top and bottom. <laughs> That was too easy, you guys. Don't give that to me. Nice. They, don't, they don't all have to be hard. Wait, what? What? <laughs> so Eddie's friends do come back to visit. Eddie's playing hardballs over here. Oh, and, uh, okay, now we're just saying words. Yeah, just- they update him on their plan to make silver bullets, which kind of gets tweaked by the time they actually execute that plan. (laughs) But we find out that Beverly is the best shot and she is really unhappy about that. Understandably, because she's terrified. You know, that's a lot of responsibility for her. Like, oh, what if I miss and you all die? (laughs) So that's Eddie's story. And now we are back in the library and it's Beverly's turn. And I am very, I'm very upset that she gets all of the awful, weird sexual stuff. Yeah. Every fucking time. <laughs> this makes sense to belong to her in that 
it's really funny to watch her piece together. What the fuck that is, is that? Funny, <laughs> like, yeah. Because this is the first time she ever sees a penis, and she's like, what the is happening here? <laughs> There's long tubes. Okay, I had made the comment that the scene with the witch slash Bev's dad was the worst thing I'd ever read and nothing was ever going to replace <laughs> that. And I this honestly meant it. This book is just it. constantly yeah. one-upping that. I really meant it. And I got to this and I was like, I was wrong. This is the, I mentioned the uh, popping out of existence was one of those mm. Stephen King mm-hmm. moments that lives in my head forever. But the true, if I were to rank them, number one is the Wilma Nettie fight from Needful Things. Number two is Patrick Hockstetter's Fridge. The the way that this this book so carefully and brutally details things that I think most authors and most books do kind of gloss over, like they they let you know what's happening, but this takes it to the extreme edge and makes you so uncomfortable and horrified. All right, so let's talk about what it actually is because I can't delay it any longer. Are we are we talking about the lighting the farts? That's the being... first part. <laughs> Yeah, we'll that start with lighting farts. Yeah, okay. let's let's ease into let's this. Let's start with the wholesome part. Yeah. yeah so as wholesome as this chapter gets. Beverly finally sees her first penises. It's unfortunate that <laughs> they are attached to Henry and his friends. But she's going down to the junkyard to practice shooting. And she's by herself, even though none of them should ever be by themselves. Right. And she thinks at first that she hears and sees her friends down there. And she's just walking like nothing, like out in the open. And she realizes when she is a little too close for comfort that it is Patrick, Vic, Chris, and Henry. There's four of them, Belch. right? Oh, Belch. Victor and Chris are the same person. Oh, yeah. I think I made that mistake before. <laughs> we'll just move past it. But And they are... Uh, do guys do this? I have done this. No. <laughs> no okay. So, funny story. Didn't take our pants off. Okay, so that's the part that I was like, yeah. no, I've never gotten <laughs> naked in the junkyard and lit my farts off with my friends. We we tried it, and a friend, we didn't take our pants off, so he caught his pants on fire. <laughs> and it was hilarious. Boys uh, are dumb. Boys are idiots. I had a friend that used to uh, light his pubes on fire because he thought it was funny. What? Yeah, he was weird. Hey, Brian. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, boy. This book is why people don't read Stephen King. They don't like horror. All right, so they are lighting their farts on fire, and then it's just down to Henry and Patrick. Wait, I'm not going to describe this. I'm running the episode. One of you. Uh, Patrick jerks them both off, Mm -hmm. and it's real uncomfortable. And eventually... Henry's like, hey, fuck off, and gets real homophobic. Well, Patrick offers to put it in his mouth. Ah, yeah. That is the 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 cattle. They're having a great time. <laughs> Patrick, <laughs> just, two, Patrick, just two guys Patrick hanging out. Dual wielding. He's, he was, he's being very gentle with Henry's part of it. Right. Yeah. He was, he two was, friends. He was enthusiastic, I'd say. What's a handy between two bros? Right. <laughs> but he he freaks out and starts walking towards Bev. And mm. she she's She's hiding, hiding in the back of a car now, yeah. And as they get closer, you know, Patrick's going after him, like, not a big deal. It's, it's you whatever. You got a boner. It's the biggest <laughs> boner I ever saw. <laughs> uh, <I'm, laughs> all right, hit the sting for boner talk. 
(laughs) (laughs) But as, you know, Henry's, you know, using slurs to be homophobic about Patrick, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back here is that Patrick is, you know, He's like, don't tell anybody. And Patrick's like, I'll do whatever the fuck I want. I don't care about anything. And Henry goes, if you tell anybody, I'll tell them about your fridge. And that's mm. when Patrick realizes he he had a suspicion. Someone knew. It could just be because he's a paranoid sociopath. But he had a suspicion that people knew. And so now that he knows for a fact someone knows about his fridge, that kind of shuts him up. And he has to do something about that. Yeah, because Patrick, the part that's fascinating to me about what we're going to get into is that he's crazy, but Mm -hmm. he knows, even though he can't really empathize or feel emotion, like including fear, he understands that there are rules in society that you have to follow. He does have some sort of sense of self-preservation. So he knows that people would not react well and that he has to keep it a secret. I feel like if what happens to him hadn't happened, I think he would have murdered Henry. Oh, he 1000% is set up as a serial killer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, and that's why this chapter is so effective and so scary Mm -hmm. is because just like you said, in other circumstances, Patrick would be the villain of his own book. Oh, 100%. 100%. Please don't include him in our next Christmas episode. <laughs> <laughs> I will I promise to not put him in Mary Fuck Kill ever. Thank you. The and we're kind of glossing past how all of this affects Beverly. It, it's mm. a very well-written tense scene yes. for her because she's it, it's interesting like the the female perspective of it. She's seeing this kind of sexual thing be it's like her first real exposure to sexuality. It's unfortunate that it's not a positive one. And she's reacting to it sort of like disgusted and intrigued you know disgusted because of who it is but then of course she as she's watching patrick um give the balls attention as well she's thinking <laughs> i don't i don't like give yeah the, okay <laughs> whatever she's thinking that bill has those yes so she's feeling more emotions than just disgust mm-hmm. but and she's also terrified for her life because she also has a thought if they find me, what will they do to me? What if Henry yeah. wants to put that somewhere in me? Like, she doesn't quite understand it, but. But it is a truly horrifying. It's an instinctual. She's, she's also yeah. hiding in the backseat of a junked car. So it's not like she's well hidden. If, if you walked by and looked down, she'd be in plain sight. Yeah. And then she, you know, they part ways. She escapes, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> We are going to spend some time with Patrick, and it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, for anybody who hasn't been following along or hasn't made it to this part yet, this is extremely disturbing. And I'm just going to mm-hmm. put it out there quickly and concisely. If you guys want to say anything about it, you can, and then we'll get to the fridge. Well, I feel like I've definitely talked about this segment before on the podcast, right? Because this is such a huge Stephen King moment. We've mm-hmm. 100% talked about it. Yeah. So we don't have to now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mostly the the fact that with such cool not cool the you know cool casual mm-hmm. disregard it describes this guy murdering his baby brother yep. as his a kindergartner as, as yeah. a kindergartner murdering his infant brother it is shockingly dark shockingly uh, if awful. The death of Freddy 
in Mr. Mercedes, when Brady killed his brother, Mm -hmm. that was rough. What makes this ten times worse Mm -hmm. is that Patrick smothers him, lets him go, just just like, oh, that's neat. That's how that happened. And then he does it. He does it three times. And the third (sighs) time is when he finally does it. And and like you said, Ben, it is so casual Mm -hmm. because we find out that Patrick believes he is the only real thing in existence. And what has always horrified him about his brother is that if my mom and dad made me and I'm real, that means he might be real too. Also, terrifying. Also, having this baby ruined my routine. My dinner comes later than it used Mm -hmm. to. I don't get as much attention as I used to. So if I'm going to keep this, this is the only option. But it's not even with any emotions still like that because the brady thing was horrible but there was still as awful as it was and as horrible as he and his mom are there was still regret and Mm -hmm. despair and like grief about the situation this is he describes killing his infant brother the way you describe like accidentally stepping on ants on the sidewalk just like oh no big deal he did it and then he went and watched cartoons because that was done having committed that act that's when you know it's described as if his whole world was like black and white, this was the first time he saw color. I, I feel like I can summarize uh, with this one note that I made. Patrick's mom is losing her mind. Patrick puts on a sweater. Yeah. It is It is that disconnected. He is that far removed. And his dad sees the wet footprints or like the... He was standing in a puddle of water because mm. it had been raining or snowing or something. And he sees some of that there later and he just can't even... Allow himself to follow that thought anywhere, Mm. so he doesn't. So this is what leads Patrick to his own special way of feeling things and seeing colors again. This book's version of animal violence. When was the last time we read a book that didn't feature animal violence? It is one of the most pervasive tropes in King... I had never realized... (laughs) I had never realized how pervasive it is. But I swear there is not a single book that goes by where something terrible doesn't happen to an animal. We, well, I mean, Mr. Mercedes, we're led to believe where that's going to go with uh, Mm -hmm. Odell. And we thankfully get a different direction there. My husband stopped reading. He couldn't make it past this. He's like, oh, yeah, the dog. No, I was done. If if (laughs) somebody told me I tried to read it, I got to this chapter and I'm done, I'd say, yeah. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> I'd say you're you're. Allowed. I would say yeah. There's some stuff later on that you're not gonna yeah. like either. <laughs> like it doesn't get nicer. Basically, Patrick has been finding strays and wounded animals, and there's a fridge kind of off the not in the main junkyard part, but on a path, which happens to be right by where Beverly is relieving herself because she's been hiding, terrified in the back of his car while the stuff is going on. And Patrick has a death refrigerator where he is trapped animals and it's he's become obsessed with it he draws about it and that's what henry was threatening him with it's so gross and what happens to him what beverly witnesses isn't enough (laughs) it this is what fascinates me most about patrick hockstetter is just the implications it has on how it works yeah Mm -hmm. is very cool because beverly witnesses him coming up on his fridge and opening it And he expects there to be, what, a dog in there? A pigeon. A pigeon, pigeon, that's right. But what he finds is these 
shapeless blobs like fleshy leeches with wings mosquito leeches yes <laughs> in in my head i can picture them so clearly and they're disgusting well, and leeches Whoa. are his childhood fear he got a leech on him once and that was like the only time in his life he ever felt like fear or showed any type of real emotion to anybody right and the these things what this has always meant to me is that because patrick does not feel normal feelings like fear it doesn't have anything to latch on to hmm. it's oh. it goes uh it this kid kind of doesn't like leeches. I guess I'll <laughs> I'll kind of go that direction, but they're still just like formless nothings. Yeah. And they fly at him and puncture his eyeball and Ugh. start drinking his juices. The the one in his mouth. Cuz it jabs into his tongue, drinks and then it bursts in his own mouth. And it's it's leaving. It's like a mosquito. If the hole it left was like the size of a, a dime. dime, yeah. And they they constantly drink until they burst. And he tries to get away. And then he sees a man approach, but the face is like all runny, and it mm. he it cannot lock in a form yeah. because he because Patrick's the only thing that's real. Mm-hmm. So. It, there's nothing, and he just says hello and goodbye. <laughs> well, in the voice of Bev's dad, which well, he doesn't hear it in the voice no, of Bev's but Bev dad. Does yeah, yeah, which is horrible because that's how she he couldn't lock in a shape that she could see. So that's mm-hmm. the closest. And supporting, you know, that they see things that that have been shared. Now this bleach mosquito is real for mm-hmm. her as well, yeah. and one does attack her. And uh, he scoops Patrick up and drags him to the sewers. And Bev can see the trail that it leads. Fucked up, man. So Beverly takes her friends to the the fridge to kind of show them what's going on. And I'm just mentioning this because I I thought it was really cool. There's a note waiting for them. And this is where Bill gets really, really upset. But, you know, it's trying to scare them. But what it actually does, you know, with this note is makes them a stronger unit together. Because this is where they all kind of pull through for him. And they're like, yeah, this was your brother, but we're all in this. And we've got your back and we're going to do this. What does the note say? So they, (laughs) when they, they open it up. The fridge now is full of orange pom-poms, and it has this written inside. It says, stop now before I kill you all. A word to the wise from your friend Pennywise. It's mm. fucking creepy. And that's, that's <laughs> yeah, Bill's like, that. this message means that we scare it. Yeah, and that's really important. That's something they continue to hold on to. They craft their plan about these silver dollars, melting them down and making them into slugs that Beverly is going to shoot with a slingshot. It's it's cute, their plan. Like, I would have never been smart enough as a kid to think <laughs> of this. Absolutely not. They're at Bill's house, and they've set up this fake Monopoly game that looks like it's been being played for hours. So when his parents eventually come home, you know, they don't know what they've been up to. So... That's and there's a little bit of foreshadowing about how you know there's a girl in the group, but she doesn't have to worry about that. They're too young. Yes, <laughs> it's gross re- re- reading it and knowing what's coming. No, I just 
when you're like they're playing Monopoly and there's foreshadowing, the first thing that jumped in my head was about how Stan had so much money. And I was like, Jesus, Jesus, because they make a big deal about that joke. Like they, that's when they come home and they make that joke, and the parents are like, kids, and they're all laughing. They're like. Kids? All right, yes. <laughs> it's okay for us to be anti-Semitic. <laughs> right. We're 11. What? <laughs> what? We're going to now get the confrontation at the house on Newbolt Street through Ben's perspective. And we've seen Ben's chest before because he showed Ricky mm-hmm. Lee when he first gets called back to Derry. The H from Henry. But now, all of a sudden, kind of like Bill's scar in his palm the audracies appear he has these huge slash marks how is ben not dead oh i swear <laughs> by the end of this section <laughs> i don't know how ben did not die yeah so they've got all this research on making slugs beverly's gonna shoot them and they make their way to the house on Newbolt street i think this is another they don't come right out and say it but i feel like this is another tip in the hand of of destiny or some hand moving them because they explain the process of melting these silver dollars down and making these two ball bearings. That's all they have, two mm-hmm. ball bearings. And the pores and the the melting, all of it is pinpoint accuracy. <laughs> if they mm-hmm. like I can't I could not imagine being that careful, especially with how many hands are involved in it, that they made them perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a subtle detail, but I feel like that's kind of cool. Yeah, I liked the whole process of of them coming up with this plan and executing it. And I, oh man, the house on Newbolt Street is so freaking cool because of the way it changes while they're inside of it. So they they go in same way that Richie and Bill had done. Poor Ben gets stuck. Oh yeah, and Beverly's like Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, and and he's just all he can think about is. You know how his his stomach, his bare stomach is right in his beloved's face because Beverly went down before him. And I I get it when you're a kid and you like somebody. Everything you do is disgusting and horrible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but they are making their way through and this, the whole time it's trying to scare them into firing off the slugs. So they exhaust their ammunition before they even get to it. But... Together, they remain strong. But yeah, there's a moment with Stan. <laughs> and Bill has to so pull them together again. <laughs> there, there are two things that I feel like it's interesting to point out. Because we talked about how all of the losers have their strengths uh, that just seem to come naturally. And I didn't notice this the first time I read it, but I noticed it this time. That Ben is the person who notices that the architecture is wrong. Mm-hmm. That the angles are impossible in this house, and it just that knowledge just comes to him, and that's when they can all recognize something's weird. And that that knowledge, having that, almost makes him get lost from the others because suddenly, yeah, they are <laughs> down this really far corridor and way ahead of him. And uh, Big Bill goes Super Mario, and he <laughs> leaps up like he's punching a block, and he punches because the ceiling looks like it's. 10 feet tall, he leaps up and his fist stops at something in midair mm-hmm. and pieces of the ceiling come down and it brings everything back. Which is weird because I I guess I would have expected that in that moment it really was that tall. That is something that bothered me because in the whole book, it's literally important part of the it's thing that it doesn't make illusions 
the things that it does are real. Like, that's mm-hmm. a really important part of its lore. But yeah, then this one thing is just an illusion. Because the other stuff that happens aren't even illusions. It's just trickery. Which, okay, because that brings me to the sound they all start hearing, which Mike figures out before everybody like freaks out and runs out of the house that it's a moose call and starts describing like the string. I'm like, okay, so I'm imagining Pennywise like carefully setting up this (laughs) thing to scare them. Well, I guess everything, everything with Pennywise isn't an illusion, but I mean, were the fortune cookies illusions because they're the only ones who saw them that way. I feel like there's, I feel like there's a certain amount of, of illusion that you could lend to Pennywise. But just anytime it's physically him, despite him not casting a shadow, that is not Or was it not an illusion because Bill believed the ceiling was there and that made it not an actual thing, but made it real? Yeah. That's what I'm going to go with. I like that better. It works. (laughs) Uh, I do want to point out, though, that, uh, again, Stan loses his mind and the conversation basically, Bill grabs him. And Stan's losing his mind. And he's like, look, I'm in this because I have a dead I have a dead brother. You have birds. These are the same. <laughs> and <it laughs> and Stan's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pep talk only children can I was gonna say, and yet it rings completely true. It is the most and childlike, yeah. just get it together for birds. <laughs> So they they all end up in the bathroom after just some awesome scary shit in the house. And it comes up through the drain. And Rich, I believe this happens because Richie is like, you guys, it's the werewolf. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. that is what they're facing. That's what they're dealing with. Also, the fact that Ben can see it coming before, Mm -hmm. like he, he sees the toilet and it's all busted. And he just in his mind's eye he sees something moving mm-hmm. through the pipes. Like shifting as it it's coming, fucking, about to take it's form. so cool. And this is too where they realize, I think it's is a bill that realizes it's in the sewers. Mm. Like that's where it always comes from. It always comes from the drains. They've had that, the suspicion's been there for a while, mm-hmm. but this is that definitive moment. Now we know, because we knew yeah. it was here and now we know where to follow it. The description of this werewolf and the fight they have is super scary. It's huge. It has these horrible claws. It swipes at Ben. I think he's jumping in front of Beverly about this time. He pushes her out of the way. Blocking her shot. (laughs) (laughs) And he gets a a stomach full of claws and he falls in the bathtub. I'm surprised you weren't as excited about this part because Ben used your self-defense tactic. He thumbs (laughs) it in the eye. And that's when the werewolf throws him in the tub. And that's Bev takes her shot and she... It goes through and it punctures a hole through its Ugh. snout and it just blood gushing out of this mm-hmm. massive hole in its nose. I, I love that it only works because it's a werewolf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I That's so cool. It's perfect. Well, they have the silver slugs, so thank God. Richie thought it was going to be a werewolf. But then they, the most perfect thing, because now she's all out of ammo, mm-hmm. but they start shouting at her to fire again and finish it off. And it does not call their bluff. <laughs> it, it retreats. <laughs> yeah. It believes 
that she might have more. And so it takes off. They use its own trick against it. Yeah. Yeah. If you have faith in something, which is really, really cool. (laughs) Just that afterwards, they're like, yeah, next time we see it, it's probably going to be in a shape that (laughs) silver doesn't hurt. it. (laughs) That'd be smart. And then they all realize Beverly has boobs. (laughs) It's very important to the story that we take this time out. (laughs) Anyway. Well, this is also Ben when we kind of really first we've we've talked around it, but I think this is the first time that Ben starts trying to piece together where does power come from mm-hmm. in the first place. This all of this is happening so far. They've just been reacting, yeah. But Ben is starting to dig into like what is the core of this? If if we're just doing stop gaps, what's gonna end this? Mm-hmm. Because he sees Bill notice Beverly in a way that so far only Ben has really noticed her. Mm-hmm. And he he realizes like, oh, never going to happen between me and Beverly. And it's so sad, too, because at one point he's like, I don't care. I love her and she can have Bill or whatever she wants in the world as long as I can just have my love for her, even if she never knows. It's like, fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, we've all been there. Like, unrequited love's a, a real rite of passage. You know, so I feel like in in some way, shape or form, we've all had that moment of wanting to hold on to the fantasy. Somebody you didn't say something to because you didn't want to ever wreck the fantasy that maybe this exists. God, or they wreck the fantasy by opening their mouths and realize (laughs) they're real stupid. (laughs) And then you move your locker so that you don't turn into them anymore. (laughs) It happened to a friend. Yeah. It's a terrible way to talk about your husband. (laughs) Oh, no. <laughs> okay, we're going to end with, I think, so far, probably my favorite flashback of dairy history. Agreed. This is so cool. We are, we're in the fourth interlude. We we pop back to kind of present day. It's before Mike makes the calls. We're mm. back with his journals again. He's super drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the audiobook part, there were some parts that were slurred that I'm like, mm-hmm. not sure that part should have been slurred. <laughs> We're, we're losing. I think he really got drunk. And I, I respect that. <laughs> Steven Weber is a professional. Yep. And I respect every oh, choice so he method. makes. <laughs> so he's talking about or thinking, writing about how the town would really react if he didn't just preserve the nice history and highlight that of Derry. If he let people know the truth, what he knows. And so we are going back in time to the silver dollar, which was referenced, you know, as a tragedy very, very early on with the union workers who were horribly murdered. I think that was the people that we said were found like dismembered in the forest Uh or something. This part is very dark and fascinating. The it's the affair of Claude Harrow and the silver dollar. Claude was among the lumberjacks who wanted to unionize. There's like four of them, not even a large number. (laughs) And uh, he avoided being murdered by the uh, opposite side of that argument. Not just like, (laughs) not even just executed, but violently, viciously killed. Yeah. And sending a clear message, they had uh, something that said union taped to all of them Mm -hmm. or pinned to all of them. And kind of turned they they never found claude after that but suddenly there were tracks of forest being burned and people would catch glimpses of him here and there but nobody could really pin him down this also was referenced in tommy knockers 
because uh, they talk about the fires that took mm-hmm. down whole tracts of lands that's, in Haven. That's also, cool. <laughs> uh, and that's where he he was responsible for all these. Uh, and it all comes to a head because by September they were like, well, it's it's probably done. Like fires aren't going to catch so easy <laughs> in the winter in Maine. So I think we should we, we have all winter to find him. It's going to be easy. So September 9th, they are at the Sleepy Dollar. Or they're at, <laughs> it's they're at the Sleepy Silver Dollar is the full name of this place. And it's full of loggers getting drunk. And Haro shows up and he's just chatting with people, casually hanging out. He's got this big axe just hanging out next to him. And nobody really thinks twice about it. At, okay, can we... Can we go to the splatter meter? Just with, with the laundry list of... <laughs> our, our classic bit, the splatter meter? Yeah. Everyone's favorite Dairy Public Radio bit? That Every old episode. chestnut. <laughs> Hit the sting. Uh, I'm trying to start a thing. No, I, I love it. Yeah, always start a thing by jumping in the middle as well, though it's an established thing. you have to pretend thing. that it's, oh, I'm into it's it. canon. Okay. okay, we have a hand chopped off at the wrist, an axe in the head, an axe in the back, an axe in the gut, a dismembering, a severed head. But what's cool about this is the whole time this is happening, everyone else (laughs) in the bar who's not being murdered acts like nothing is going on. Yeah. The, the, The interview that is then relayed to Mike essentially is, we were aware something was happening, but we weren't conscious of it. Like it, it was. It didn't it seem was like abstract. A important thing. To yeah. Think about. Even though one of the heads rolls over to somebody and he kicks it away. Oh my god. <laughs> also, then a mob forms shortly after that. He takes off, and word spreads, and people start getting upset about it. And this is what Mike describes as the, or the the interview E describes as the last lynching in Derry. What I found so interesting about this is that it's. The people who stormed the jail, broke Claude Hero out, and then lynched him, several of them were people who were there. And it's because that that this is something that they need to sort out attitude has now worn off. And this other, the, they um, somebody, they, they mentioned a clown, that there was a, a clown was around that seemed to be riling people up. Mm-hmm. And they all just got sucked into it. It's just interesting how that turn happens. These people who were completely apathetic to what was happening now yeah. so angry they're moved to breaking into a police station and murdering someone and that reminds me too that we adults do see it because mm-hmm. yeah. the bradley gang situation mm-hmm. multiple people reported that so before we end this episode because that's the end of our reading for this i wanted to ask what you guys thought about mike's idea that the kids who have been murdered you know he's he's talking present day were partially eaten And he thinks that that's because, you know, they weren't like sexually molested or anything. Because as a kid, your fear is of monsters. And Mm -hmm. what are monsters going to do to you? They're going to eat you. And that's why it Mm -hmm. is eating them. If they had a different fear, that's what it would be doing to the bodies. That's extremely scary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. I'm sorry. That's uh, I have been having trouble discussing this book. Because so much of it, I just want to boil down to, this is really good. (laughs) This is really scary. It's it's something, like you're, it's just a thought that Mike has that 
I think as you're reading it, you have it. It's there. But something about him describing that, I don't know. It's it's a beautiful piece of writing. Mm-hmm. Well, this, this is also at the end of all this when he's talking about that. That's when Mike... You know, ben asks the question in this uh, in this flashback of where what is power? Where does power come mm-hmm. from? And Mike is the person who he's answering it in this journal where he says that the source of power is faith mm-hmm. and no one is more capable of pure faith than children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which makes them uh, a target and yeah. uh, just the, the, the most easily accessible and dare I say, fun target for a creature like Pennywise. So if there are any kids listening, sorry. And you should not be. <laughs> yeah. Put, <laughs> put this down and uh, just believe that mon- monsters are out to tickle you. No, that's great. No, that's, no, right. that's worse. That's it for this episode of Dare Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we're going to be finishing the book, guys. Woo. We're doing it. For Benjamin Graham and Sam Alexander, this is Joshua Kahn reminding you. Words don't matter if a thing works. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to It Part 4. We hope you enjoyed it. I have a small bit for you that didn't make the episode, but before we get to that, I want to remind you that you can still use our 20% off code DAIRY at manscaped.com. They have a new product coming out this new year, their Ultra Premium Body Wash, and we're going to get to try it. We'll report back to you on what we think, but in the meantime, they have a bunch of cool grooming tools that you can dig into on their website. Perhaps if Patrick had given Henry the Lawnmower 4.0 instead of a handy, they would have been better friends. You don't have to stretch your wallet like I just stretched that analogy when you use our code DAIRY for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. And speaking of trimming things, here's that bit that didn't make the show. You fucker. (laughs) (laughs) You, I can't, you made that have to be in the episode. (laughs) I know what you're doing. (laughs) It was perfect. It was great. (laughs) That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.